whoever you are, wherever you live, whatever size your living space, you can do more than you think to lead a greener lifestyle. In the Sustainability Book Chat, we are talking to authors and experts about all the different ways that achieving sustainability is within your reach. Hello, everyone, and welcome to today's episode. I am personally very excited about this episode because this is something that I have absolutely no personal experience with. But I'm really excited to learn a lot more about it. And that is Home Hydroponics. That is the name of the book. And the subtitle is Small Space DIY Growing Systems for the Kitchen, Dining Room, Living Room, Bedroom, and Bath. And the author who's joining us today, Tyler Barris, who um, is known by most people as Farmer Tyler. Welcome to the show. Oh, thank you. Thank you, Deborah. Yeah, it's a, it's a long subtitle. You made it through it. <laughs> yeah, I survived. You know, I had to read it though. Like I, I wasn't even going to try to do that without reading it. <laughs> I sort of forget it as well. It's a home hydroponics book. That's, that's what I call it. Yeah. I think it's a great title with a super descriptive subtitle. <laughs> so yes, just to I get agree. started, let's tell people, cause some people may not be familiar with hydroponics, even the concept of hydroponics. So what exactly is that? Sure. So hydroponics can encompass a a really wide range of growing styles. It pretty much means you're delivering the nutrients or your fertilizer through the water. And some people will, you know, usually think of just like a glass full of fertilizer and a plant sitting in it and the roots just growing in the water. And that's sort of like your pure hydroponics method or like the floating rafts or a rain gutter where the water is trickling through the gutter and the roots are just sort of sitting in there. But it can sort of also encompass things that look like growing in cocoa core or perlite or something that's not soil where there's no nutrients that are actually incorporated into the soil. And you're just, every time you water the plant, you're delivering your fertilizer. So it can look sort of like soil sometimes uh, with some potting mixes that have no nutrients blended in. And you just, every time you water, you add fertilizer, or it can be just pure water growing. Okay. And what is the difference between this and aquaponics? Because the names sound kind of similar. Oh, yeah. There's hydroponics, aquaponics, aeroponics, all these different ponics. So aquaponics, you're taking fish culture, aquaculture, and mixing it with hydroponics. So aquaponics, fish culture, one of the byproducts is all the fish waste, which is usually high in nitrogen. It also has a lot of your other micronutrients. So you can almost meet all of the plants nutrient needs through the fish waste this is definitely a really popular method for like backyard gardeners and there are some commercial operations doing aquaponics hydroponics however you're adding all the nutrients through some product addition so that could be a a chemical fertilizer like a synthetic one it could be an organic fertilizer it's pretty much instead of using fish for the waste you're just going straight and giving it straight to them And for a home gardener, this can take out a lot of the complexity. You know, I I think aquaponics is really fun. I've definitely done some, Uh, but it adds the extra complexity of your taking care of fish. And if you have a problem with your fish, then your plants also die or are struggling. Where in hydroponics, you can really just focus on your plant's health, just really make sure that's doing well. And it removes some of the factors, the complication. Yeah, I think both are fun though. Yeah. 
All right. Now, this really surprised me. I thought, I've always thought like, oh, hydroponics, that sounds cool. Aquaponics, that sounds cool. And then in 2012, we had a horrible drought. And I happened to be speaking at an event in Chicago. And I made a comment. I don't even remember why exactly I made this comment. But I said, wow, I am really wishing this year that I knew more about hydroponics or, or aquaponics. Because with this drought, like nothing in our garden is going to survive. There is just no way that we can water enough to make up for the fact that we have had no rain for months now. And I got some major pushback from two or three very opinionated and vocal people in the audience who were like, that's not natural, which really shocked me, especially with the aquaponics. I'm like, What's more natural than just like plants feeding on fish poop? I mean, my garden feeds on goat poop, you know? Yeah. Um, so what do you say to people who say that this isn't natural? Sure. I mean, there's, there's plenty of critiques that can be made about hydroponics, chemical fertilizers, uh, growing in plastic systems. And I, there's, there's definitely ways it can be improved, but I think there's also a lot of benefits. So, you know, let's say on the fertilizer side, you know, there's definitely a big carbon footprint with creating sort of synthetic fertilizers. But on the other hand, currently 50% of the nitrogen used worldwide to grow like all of the food for all crops is from synthetic processes. So there's not even like enough organic nitrogen out there to feed the world. So it's already, I mean, it's being done and by using a synthetic nitrogen, you can use it in a system that recirculates the water forever and you don't have to dump the water as often. So you can maybe get a lot of water savings, even if you have a slightly higher carbon footprint on the fertilizer, on the plastics. There's ways to do hydroponics without any plastic, but there's definitely a lot of more creative ways to do it with the plastic. And almost all of our water is being delivered through PVC pipes that you know, like that already. So we're already in a plastic world. You know, there's pros and cons to all of it. When I first started horticulture, I was at University of Florida and I specialized in organic crop production. And all I was focused on was organic, you know, sustainable, no-till, everything. And through my career, I slowly moved to doing more hydroponics. And even though I still do some organic certified hydroponics, also looking at, you know, non-organic and just slowly seeing, you know, there's benefits to each of these cultivation practices. You know, I see a lot of bleed over from organic to conventional, especially like using beneficial insects and sort of these new pest management strategies moving into the non-organic world. And then some of the non-organic techniques like plastic culture, which is pretty intense. You know, we pretty much cover a field of plastic and then you put your plants in it. That's being used by so many organic growers now because the weeding is so difficult. You know, that's probably not the best example of conventional to organic, but there is um, there is a lot of crossover. And I think there's good in sort of all these production practices and there's ways to improve them all as well. So, you know, I, I can't say hydroponics is like the one and only answer to solve hunger or the best production method of all, but it does open up uh, the opportunity to do a lot of fun stuff, like some really unique system designs, like vertical towers and all this stuff, like you'll see in the book. Um, and it, it does have its own set of benefits, especially on the water savings. So yeah, I, I think it involves a lot of research. And even as you do more research, you find out it's so conflicted, the answers. I'm going on another long ramble, but 
one of the big ones is like nutrient content. I, I think that's one that usually people hit upon is, you know, the nutrient content in hydroponically grown produce isn't as good as organic produce. And so much research has been done on that. And you'll have a couple that says the organic one had higher nutrients. And then the other one says the conventional did. And so much didn't boil down to what nutrients you're feeding. You know, it usually boils down to what kind of light it was receiving, the growing season it was in. Was it a winter or summer? How quickly did the crop grow? There's so many other factors that are bigger factors on like nutrient content and flavor than what nutrients the plant were provided. I hope I'm not going on too long of a ramble. One more thing. So what nutrients a plant can actually eat? You know, there's about a list of, I think, about 16 different molecules that a plant can actually uptake through its root system. So even if you feed a plant organic fertilizer, those nutrients have to break down into those simple molecules before a plant can actually take it into it. And in hydroponics, generally you're just providing those plants that simple molecule right away. So you're not depending on the soil microbes to break down these, you know, like manure or these larger inputs to these simple molecules. You just provide it straight to the plant. The plant can't tell the difference between nitrate or ammonium or phosphate or potassium that came from manure or a synthetic source. So it's, you know, when it comes to the fertilizer, pretty much plants can only eat a short list and it doesn't truly matter for the plant's nutrition where it came from. Now it's big sustainability and sort of bigger picture for the world. It, it does matter. And I think that then boils down to such a bigger conversation of like carbon footprint. And anyways, it, it's so complex. Oh yeah. And <laughs> These things do get very, very complex. So complex. It seems like this would use less water than planting out in a garden. It definitely does. You know, the plant is only pulling up the water it needs and the rest of the water is recycled, is reused. So there's no you know, water escaping through the soil or excessive evaporation from the soil surface. The water is leaving through the leaves through transpiration and that's it. So definitely huge on the water savings. You know, a lot of the stats come out, it can be like 90, 95% more efficient. It truly actually depends on what you're comparing it to. I've seen some that it's it's definitely not that, you know, maybe you have like a little bit of improvement, but um, there's some systems where it can be really good. Okay. So, nuanced as all these things are. Yeah. And I'm sure that depends on the system too and how open the system is and everything. Cause a super open system, you're going to have a lot more evaporation than if the system is more closed. Definitely. So is there a difference in the taste of food that's grown hydroponically or not? I would say for some of them, yes. There's some plants that are really nutrient hungry. And if you feed them a hydroponic fertilizer that has a lot of nutrients in them, they pull it all up and it almost tastes like too strong. Like the flavor is too intense. So sometimes arugula, if you feed it too much, it almost, it tastes really bitter. Celery, you know, it pretty much is like a sponge just soaking up what's in the water um that one can taste a little bitter or like too strong of celery flavor cilantro sometimes but the the other ones you know like tomatoes you know a lot of the commercial tomatoes you might find in the grocery store are grown hydroponically and i think the bigger factor on a lot of the crops is how ripe were they picked 
you know, so a tomato, if you leave it on the vine longer, whether it's grown hydroponically or in the soil, it's really about how, how long did you let it stay on the plant? You know, you can harvest it green and let it ripen, but it's still not going to have like that same like deep flavors that you get from leaving it on the plant. So a lot of it comes down to the decisions made by the grower, not the, the growing system. Okay. You mentioned quite a few foods there. Are there any foods that you can't grow hydroponically? Technically, no, but I wouldn't recommend all of them. <laughs> um, Don't, not celery. I think celery is strong enough already. So if you're telling me it's going to be stronger, then I, I would not try celery. <laughs> There's ways around it. Pretty much you'd give it a very, very dilute uh, nutrient formula. Like if you were looking at a hydroponic fertilizer bag and it said, do this, do like 10% of that for some of these crops that are just, that would soak it up. Um, but, you know, usually the crops that do best in hydroponics are your leafy greens, so your lettuces, your brassicas, uh, your all the Asian greens like bok choy, tatsoi, mizunas, kale, those all do really well, Swiss chard. And then on the fruiting crops, peppers, tomatoes, eggplants, those all do really well. There's a lot of other fun, like specialty crops that I like to grow, um, salad burnet, uh, two fig plant or the buzz bombs when they make your mouth go numb. So uh, in the back of the book, there's, I don't know, a dozen or so pages of just crop recommendations of fun varieties to try, what crops really grow well in hydroponics. I would say that's usually one of the big spots where, where people might face difficulty with hydroponics is they might just take some of the plants that they grew in their yard and just expect them to do well in a hydroponic system. But it's just as you know, certain plants would grow well in different zones. Some plants just do well with like wet feet that you would experience in hydroponics. So there's, there's certain lettuce varieties that do really well, certain tomato varieties that do really well. So I would assume root crops like carrots and stuff would not be a candidate for hydroponics. They, they can work. They can definitely really? work. Um, oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. So um, in these little floating rafts, I've, grown carrots and beets it's fun you pull out and it's a completely clean carrot no soil yeah. it's sort of crazy looking um <laughs> potatoes are actually so most of a lot of the potatoes that are grown in the field they start as seed potatoes and the seed potato farms grow a lot of them aeroponically so in these big it looks like a fish aquarium and they're misting the roots and they want to grow these seed potatoes in really clean environments so they don't carry any diseases when they sell them to the farmers so they were like you know, this is completely disease-free starter seed potatoes. And a lot of them are grown hydroponically. Oh, wow. That is so interesting. Yeah. I'm going to send you a photo of that one too, because it's so cool seeing these potatoes dangling and getting misted. It's so cool. Yeah, that sounds so cool. All right. And so I, I just want to back up a quick second here. Um, sure. If somebody does want their food to be all organic. Can you grow organically? Can you use all organic fertilizers in hydroponics? You can. Yeah, you can. It's usually a little bit more expensive. And, you know, usually you want to pick a system knowing that you're going to be doing organic, not just find a hydroponic system and then say, hey, I'm going to do this one organically. It's really, it needs to be sort of a mindful thing from the start. A lot of the systems that are like using coconut core or perlite that are almost like a traditional garden bed 
or um, you've probably seen that some of the ones with the sub-irrigation sort of thing where it retains some water at the bottom. The garden boxes, I believe they're called, or there's a lot of those self-watering pots. A lot of those actually work really well with an organic hydroponic method. And usually the fertilizers that are used in organic hydroponics, a lot of them are purely plant-based. So sometimes made from molasses and like sugarcane waste, beets, and there are some that are made from fish byproducts and like bone meal and stuff. But a lot of the, the animal byproduct fertilizers, they tend to sort of go rancid when they're sitting in water, uh, which can get pretty gross smelling and stuff. It, it just sort of rots in a weird way. So um, my favorite one is Preempt. If you're looking for just a straight brand name recommendation, that's one of my favorites. And you can find some YouTube videos I've made on how to use it, P-R-E-E-M-P-T is the, the name of that one. Okay, that is good to know. And so one of the things I'm curious about too is, is how small a system can be to actually be productive. Because it seems like every time I get on Facebook now, I get ads for these hydroponic systems. And you know some of them are like desktop and huge towers and you know, yep. so it just like makes you wonder like, uh, okay, do all of these really work? Yeah. I, you know, some of the claims of them of like self-sufficiency from pretty much a kitchen counter kind of system are, are definitely insane. It, it really comes down to crop selection. So on those like kitchen counter systems or, or something like that, or the towers, you know, selecting our crop where the, the finances makes sense. Right now I'm writing a, uh, I'm doing this presentation at a local gardening uh, extension service. And I'm, the title is the $100 salad. Um, so, <laughs> so if you've seen like the $64 tomato book of like, you know, growing these leafy greens indoors in a hydroponic system, you know, what do these actually cost? Is this like a $100 salad? Is it just insane? And there are some actual crops that, you can grow it cheaper than getting it at the grocery store, but it really depends on selecting the right ones. Herbs, almost always you can do that, you know, in a way that makes sense. You know, basil, parsley, chives, dill, a lot of the um, herbaceous herbs. Some of the woody herbs as well work, rosemary, can, sage, and then the salad greens can as well, your lettuces. But when you start looking at like tomatoes, peppers, strawberries, it's, it's probably unlikely that you're going to grow those in your home and actually make it make economic sense when you're starting to factoring in the cost of the lights and running it for electricity. And in the book, I actually get into some actual like, what kind of yields can you expect per square foot in your garden per year? Being reasonable, you can't expect that much from a square foot of a garden. You, know, you can expect it to meet your herb mean, needs, but if you eat a couple salads, you know, let's say you eat a salad a day, seven salads in a week, you're going to need like eight square feet, nine square feet or something on your kitchen counter, which may be your whole kitchen counter. <laughs> so um, I think it's definitely important to be realistic with, with some of these indoor systems. Okay. And then if, if anybody ever Googles hydroponics, you know that you will immediately be inundated with ads like for the next week about these fancy systems. 
some of yeah. which easily can cost $800, $900. And so, you know, like I always tell people, they're like, oh, I would love to live like you, but it's too expensive. And I always tell them like, yeah, I know there are people out there happy to take your money for, you know, like an $800 chicken coop for three hens, but you can do it a lot cheaper on your own. So I assume the same is true with hydroponics. If somebody doesn't want to buy one of these fancy $800 towers to put in their kitchen, it looks beautiful. And, you know, if I could afford it, I'd get one. But if they can't afford that or they just want to do it themselves, what can somebody do to to get started on their own in terms of the equipment required? Sure. There's definitely a lot of those expensive pre-manufactured systems. There's a couple, I would say, that are actually potentially worth it. Even though my whole book is about DIY systems, usually I do DIY a little bit, not only for like doing something cost effective, but to have it be yours and have a custom thing that fits well in your you know location that's really yours but for the you know the cost side i have definitely done some diy projects where it's gotten away from me and i've just spent a couple hundred dollars building something way more ornate and fun that i probably should have but if i could have bought a kit it might have been cheaper so in the book there's sort of a price range it gives of like is this a less expensive or more expensive system and you can you know, really help guide your decisions around that. The floating raft systems are usually like fairly cheap. There's a lot of ways to do it inexpensive without any pumps, without any of like the complexity. And then most of the price just comes down to the grow lights, whether you're going to be using you know um, artificial lighting or do you have a window that's bright enough? Do you have a little greenhouse area? Do you have something that can work to provide the light. Um, you can even do a hydroponic system outdoors in the open without any protection. So um, it, it can be very cheap, but I find a lot of the times the people that uh, are getting into hydroponics are usually the sort of the tinkerer kinds who want to be mad scientists, who want to build the towers, who want to build, you know, moving systems that are really crazy. And that usually comes with the expense. I mean, that's usually not cheap. Um, it's also not going to be sort of the most hands-off system. Usually these complex systems you know, require more maintenance. They're not just like a garden where you water once a week. You might have to check it you know, more often than that. So it, it, there's a wide range of how you sort of want to approach it. You know, my personal favorite is this, the floating raft system, which pretty much looks like a little pool little pond with a pond liner and it has a floating surface it could either be a, a styrofoam raft or it can be like hdpe or it, there, there are some non-plastic options but it gets a little bit trickier and the roots pretty much sit in the water and they grow you mix up this fertilizer and water mix you set your plant there and you come back in like two months three months no maintenance and the plants are done and that, that's usually how I like to grow plants. It's not the very most flashy setup because it's just a box and you come back in two months and your plants are done. So I have that system in the book. And, you know, secretly, that's like one of my favorites and my go-to. But I also do enjoy the mad scientist side where you open a locker and there's vertical towers or there's a circular Ferris wheel of plants moving. So <laughs> it d- depends on your, your goal. Okay. 
So when you said pond liner and stuff like that, that sounds like it's really big, but your subtitles was like living room, dining room, kitchen, bathroom. Mm -hmm. So, cause that sounds like it's going to be smaller, like not a pond liner kind of a thing. So the, some of the smaller ones are, there's a salad bowl system that I, I like a lot. It pretty much is like what you'd serve salad at the table, like sort of a bigger bowl. And there's, some hydroponic nutrient water at the bottom, a little plate on top, and the plants are through the plate with their roots dangling, and there's a little umbrella LED on top, uh, no more than like a foot by foot. And it can grow your herbs. You can pick whatever bowl you want that fits the style of your home. I have like a nice little white porcelain one that I liked. And, you know, that's just a very easy, fairly low-maintenance way to get started. Some of the other smaller systems can be window seal, suction cup sort of systems that you stick to your window. There's some picture frame ones where it's pretty much size of a picture frame. You hang it on your wall, but it's a hydroponic system with a grow light in it and it's growing plants. It, it's, it's possible to shrink down a lot of these principles, even that pond liner system. You can shrink that down to you know a really small footprint Okay. So a couple of times you've talked about roots and water, and I imagine there are some people listening who think, why don't they die? Because I think most people have like overwatered a plant at some point and it dies. Yeah. So if plants can die from overwatering, like this sounds like the ultimate in overwatering, oh, for sure. how do they not die when they're, when you're trying to grow them in just water? Yeah, it definitely comes down to crop selection is part of it. So some of these lettuces really do well with that sort of wet environment. And there's a bit of a difference between you know, overwatering in a soil pot and in a hydroponic garden. In a soil pot, you have a lot of other things competing for that oxygen dissolved in the water. So your microbes, it can turn anaerobic. All the oxygen can be ripped out of that really quickly. In a hydroponic system, we're you know, sometimes actively adding air with aeration, some air pumps, some little bubblers in there, or the water level may be at a certain height where some of the roots are submerged, but some of the roots are actually sitting above the water surface. So they can access the air, they can get that oxygen they need, and the other roots are really pulling up some of the water. So it definitely is important that these plants, the roots can breathe. They need oxygen, but yeah, there's, there's different ways to do it. And then there's different plants that have different root oxygen demands. And in that sort of crop spreadsheets I talked about in the back of the book, um, I know which crops have like a low, medium or high sort of root zone oxygen demand. So you know, does this crop need a system where you're really bubbling it or can this plant actually just sit in a cup of water and grow? And there's, there's plenty of those can do the really simple sit in a cup of water. And then there's others, maybe like tomatoes and peppers that they're a little bit more demanding. You want to have some air for their roots and yeah. Okay. That's a really great tip. What are some common mistakes that you see, or just like one big one, like common mistakes that people have when they get started? Sure. Not specifically to hydroponics, but just growing plants indoors is under lighting the plants, not providing enough light. And using just their eye to measure the light, thinking this looks strong, this is enough. And there's plenty of like phone apps. There's ways to inexpensively measure the light 
where you can really know how much light the plant's getting. And then there's charts in the book of like recommended light levels. So, oh, you measured this amount. That's good for these crops or that's good for these crops or these, you know, medium demand or high demanding light levels. You know, really making sure that the plants are getting the light they need is usually where a lot of these systems fall apart. And it's unfortunate because you'll invest in this hydroponic system that's so optimized in giving the plant like all the things it needs of like the right nutrients it needs and the water and stuff. But then you'll miss the one critical factor of it also needs the light. Yeah. And that is a great tip about getting a phone app to check light because I have a space in my basement where I start plants and you see some people say that you need to replace your fluorescent lights like every couple years. And I'm like, why? They look good to me. So yep. we can use an app on our phones to see if they're emitting enough light that the plants need still. So you'll be able to measure how much light is coming and then you'll need to compare it to a reference guide. Usually a lot of the phone apps will measure it in foot candles and in the book. And I believe that there might be some other resources online saying, you know, this foot candle range is good for these crops or for these seedlings. So then you can you know, really know, well, it's not light why my plants are dying. It's maybe 100 other reasons, but um, <laughs> it's not light. Yeah, yeah, that's an excellent tip. Thanks so much for that. So this has been really informative on so many different levels. And I know you have a really great online presence. Can you tell people how they can find you online? Sure. So I have a lot of educational videos on hydroponics and indoor growing on my YouTube, youtube.com slash the farmer Tyler, including some of these really low tech hydroponic systems that have no moving parts, really easy things to get into. Then facebook.com slash the farmer Tyler, twitter.com slash the farmer Tyler, Instagram, the farmer Tyler. Someone had already taken farmer Tyler, so I was stuck with the farmer Tyler. But, anyways, also my website, farmertyler.com. And that you can find links to all these things, blog posts, find links to all my books and my videos. Yeah. Awesome. That's great. And it has been so much fun chatting about this. I learned a lot and I think our listeners probably got a lot from this too. Thanks so much for joining us. Well, thank you for having me. And that's it for today's episode. You can find show notes at thriftyhomesteader.com slash book chat, as well as a transcript. If you haven't already done so, be sure to subscribe so you don't miss any future episodes. You can also find Thrifty Homesteader on Facebook, Instagram, and Pinterest. See you next week on Sustainability Book Chat.